Listeners, we want to hear from you. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at GravelTrapF1. And share your love for F1 with us. Stupid. No. Oh, no. no. I like it, though. I like it. Welcome back to the Gravel Trap F1 podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Christina. And today we will be talking about penalties. I'll be covering the types of penalties in F1 and the sporting code's very specific wording. And I'll be covering a couple of stories that are centered around penalties given to Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso in 2009 and 10. After that, join us for the checkered flag where our producer, Buck, will be trying to stir the pot by getting our takes on various F1 rules, past and present. Enjoy! Today, we're just going to be talking about in-race penalties. So the punishments that the stewards choose to give to the drivers during the race. And so there's mm-hmm. four main ones, three really, if you bunch them all close together, but there's the five and 10 second time penalties. So you get awarded those and at your next pit stop, you have to stop, stay completely immobile, wait five or 10 seconds. And then move on with your pit stop. If you don't have any pit stops left, you just add that five or 10 seconds on to your race total time. The other types are the drive through penalty, where you go through the pit lane, you do not stop, you just go that limited speed and rejoin the race. If you have only three laps left in the race, you just add 20 seconds onto your total time. And the final one is the stop and go penalty, where you will stop at your garage wait 10 seconds, and leave immediately. No work can be done on your car. If you have only three laps left, you get 30 seconds added on to your total time. Yeah. So those are the three big types of penalties that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, And kind of just the nuances and very specific wording and things that have to happen during these penalties in order for them to be served properly. Yeah, because I have a question. With the stop and go penalties, are are you allowed to work on the car? Like you stop for 10 seconds and then can they work on... No, you literally just stop. And I feel like I feel like we don't see those as much anymore. You don't. Those ones are considered to be very harsh and kind of extreme. And I haven't really... Mm-hmm. I would have to look back at notes and figure out when was the last time I actually saw one of those because I don't think it's been super recent. And if it is, then it was like... It was like someone that was in P17 and they like didn't even cover it. (laughs) Yeah, like it's not a super frequent penalty given. Like they're more likely to say you didn't serve your penalty Mm -hmm. properly. So we're going to give you a grid penalty, which again is another type of penalty, but not during the race. That one's a pre-race penalty. Mm -hmm. Okay. Speaking of not serving the penalty properly, that rear jack that touched the back of Alonzo's car, jer- mm-hmm. like it was like also right at the beginning. Like it was right at, right as he pulled in. Homeboy put that rear jack on the car. Does that, is that serving the penalty properly? Is it not? Are we, I mean, I'll take your opinion and like the official rule. The official wording, which is what everyone's getting really bogged down in, was that they cannot work on the car. Not that they cannot touch the car. So the fact that the jack tapped the rear light, no work was being done. Nothing was changing about the setup of the car, the wing, the tires, none of it. It was literally just getting a piece of equipment into position. And as well, I don't even think that once 
at least from the perspective and the angles that I got to see of it, it didn't look like he had fully placed the jack into place either. He had basically allowed it to rest underneath the spot where it was going to go, but he didn't start lifting it until the penalty was done and the rest of the team was also moving. So it was just that he tapped the light while getting it into position, into a hovering position for later. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so because they ended up ruling that, that he did serve it correctly, does this mean that, say, for example, the person who is responsible for pulling off the, you know, rear left tire, are they allowed to hold, like, touch the tire, just not move? while touching it? Under the new rules, in theory, that could be a discussion, yes. But it does sound like Mm. in light of all of this and the controversy and the complications and the unnecessary journey we took to get to this final place. (laughs) Don't take unnecessary journeys. (laughs) Exactly. They're planning to change the wording of the regulations, which... Ah. This is one of my yeah, this is one of my biggest annoyances with the regulation so much is the wording is very specific, but it also is just open to interpretations in so many ways that mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but some of my high school teachers would have caught some of these things and been like, What do you mean by that? <laughs> Please elaborate. Please clarify. They leave a little too much wiggle room. They really do. And in the case of a lot of these penalties, and here's here's where the wording thing is also very important, with the exception of pit lane starts and grid penalties, none of these are automatic. And some exceptions may apply if I might have forgotten one, but the general rule of thumb is that there are no automatic penalties. They're all the stewards may give a penalty, but they're not obligated to. The stewards may decide whether or not to proceed with an investigation. So it's a double-edged sword where they can use their judgment. And in the case of like Bahrain with Esteban going 0.1 kilometers over the pit lane speed limit, they totally could have chosen not to give that penalty. And I don't think anybody really would have batted an eye. They would have been like, yeah, yeah, okay, let that one go. That's fine. He's in the middle of nowhere. He's served a billion penalties already. Give him a warning yeah. and let that one slide. Let that one go. <laughs> exactly. But it also means that they can make stuff up kind of out of the blue. And a lot of the times they are really good at watching precedent and figuring out what has been done before so that way things stay fair and even all across the board, which is why Fernando's original penalty got overturned because they went in with seven different examples of the rear jack went in in a similar way and they didn't get that 10 seconds you didn't serve it properly penalty. So it's it's one of those things where could be good, could be bad. You get a little bit of everything because of that wording. Well, and I'm glad we're talking about penalties today because I feel like of the two races so far in the 2023 season, we've noticed that they are coming down hard on some things that Mm -hmm. I feel like in years past, they have not come down as hard on, like improper Mm -hmm. placement at the start. I feel like we've already seen that twice this year. It makes me wonder if it's the car setup or the painting of the lines more so than anything has has that changed mm. is there a reason why we've seen it twice in a row already because it's already becoming a pattern and if it's if it's a one-off then you can probably write it off as driver error because that does happen but when you start seeing a pattern so consistently especially so early on in the season it does make you wonder did something else change how do you feel about and again i might be bleeding into checkered flag territory but 
should they delay ceremony celebrations when there are potential podium changing penalties in the air? Because I felt like it wasn't fair to Alonzo or to George yesterday to celebrate when Alonzo didn't really know if it was going to be his 100th. And then if it ended up going to George, then George misses out on, you know, celebrating on the podium, having that champagne spray. And Alonzo got it and it wasn't Alonzo, you know, and, and I feel like, I mean, how do you feel about them delaying podium celebrations? I, I hate it. I don't think it should happen. But at the same time, I, being who I am, I would actually want to see the statistics behind how frequently does it happen. If it's, if it's an unfortunate one-off that sometimes happens, then that's the nature of the sport. That's the nature of waiting for human decisions to happen. Sometimes it takes time. But I find it extremely frustrating given that this sport has so much data, so much information. It does not make sense to me how, especially, especially with Alonzo's yesterday, the main feed yeah. that I was watching showed the moment the jack came into contact with that light. Everybody was watching yeah. it and there was no there were no fans basically going, "Oh my gosh, they touched the car, they touched the car." The remote center in Geneva had been watching the penalty and had initially judged that it was served properly. Oh. So they they were watching it. Someone was watching it. Someone had already decided, "Yeah, no, it's in the clear. It's fine." And then they went back and made this giant mess of it. And that's the thought process that I would love some insight into what happened between them watching that pit stop saying, yep, good to go. That's fine. Because if we remember weekend one in Bahrain, it was pretty immediate. Like Esteban was out mm -hmm. in the out back on track and they were like, mm, no, sorry, you didn't do that properly. And it was a slightly different decision or factors in that decision, but it was still so immediate of them deciding, no, you hadn't done that properly. Well, if you ask me, and this is kind of a conspiracy theory, but I actually think that Mercedes saw an opportunity at the end of the race because there was that smaller gap between George. And I love Mercedes. So this is not me like hating on Mercedes. I just, I think everybody's sassy. I think Mercedes went and like put in a little petition. I don't even know if they can do that anymore after the Michael Massey debacle, but I think that they communicated like, hey, he might not have served that right. And then they were like, oh, maybe he didn't. And then chaos. <laughs> In the Grand Prix portion of the podcast today, we're going to be telling two stories about two legends of the sport. Uh, the first would be Lewis Hamilton, who I believe we all know and love, and Fernando Alonso, the newly emerged, some would even say their favorite driver this year. I mean, I feel like he has really made a statement. But at the Australian Grand Prix in 2009, Lewis and the McLaren team representative actually deliberately lied during the post-race review with the stewards about letting somebody pass him under the safety car. So what happened was prior to the safety car, Lewis was in fourth, Yarno Truly was in third, and as the safety car was being deployed, Truly went off of the track and Lewis passed him, gaining that third position. Then during while under the safety car, Lewis went off of the racing line and slowed down and then Truly actually came up alongside him and was like, hey, are you letting me pass? And then when he didn't get any kind of response, he then 
went past him and took third place while under that safety car. So that was towards the end of the race anyway. Truly then went on to finish P3 in the race and Lewis finished P4. And then in the post-race review, McLaren was asked, did Lewis knowingly let Truly pass him? And they said no. He was pulling he was pulling aside to check something in the car and he did not know that Truly was passing him. And so they actually penalized Truly with a 25-second penalty, which reduced him not only like, yeah, that didn't just switch their positions. It sent him into 12th place, like out of the points completely. And it resulted in Lewis gaining the finishing third position. Oh my goodness. That's brutal. Yeah. It was, I'm telling you, as I was looking at some of these old stories, I was like, low key, the penalties were kind of meaner, like in pre-2010. Mm-hmm. I feel like the some of the penalties have gotten nicer as time has gone on. Well, and especially considering how spread out the field used to be. Like yes. that too. Yeah. It used to be more spread out. And so yeah. the time mattered more. Oh yeah. This is the time of Crashgate. This is the era of, you know, Spygate. I mean, this is when a lot of clever racing was happening. And I'm not saying that there's not a lot of clever racing now, but used to be more schemey. Yeah. Yes. It was very schemey. And uh, anyways, during this time, the FIA still had to release the statement that they were going to give this 25-second penalty, reduce him to 12th place. And once they released the statement, it came to the FIA's attention that Lewis had actually said in a post-race interview that he was instructed by the team to let Truly pass him. He kind of let it slip in an interview. So when the FIA reviewed the radio messages... I know. They heard the race engineer tell him to, quote, let the Toyota pass. And then they called McLaren back in again and said, hey, do you want to recall what you said? Like, do you want to kind of change the record on what you said and actually claim that you did give instruction? Like, we won't cause a fuss. And McLaren was like, nope, we didn't give him the instruction. We are sticking to our guns. We, he didn't know that he was supposed to pass him. So this was chaos. The FAA was like, well, we have the proof that you did. What they ended up doing is post-race. I mean, this is well past the race. has like been over for days at this point. Lewis publicly apologized. Days? Day, like days, plural. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Lewis being the class act that he is, he publicly apologized and he affirmed that he was suggested by the team to like go along with whatever the uh, team representative was that was with him was saying it resulted in the team being very closely scrutinized for the rest of the season. Lewis, they revoked all of Lewis's points from the Grand Prix and not only his driver's points, but the points that then would have contributed to the constructors. They were um, completely excluded from the records as the punishment. And they were even threatened to be banned from three more races within the next 12 months. If anything else happened. So not even to the end of the season, like 12 months. Oh my goodness. McLaren's chaotic history. But you kind of have to wonder about karma and McLaren at this point. Honestly, yes. Honestly, yes. I mean, I feel like the chaos is so real for them right now. And I hate it that it's young drivers that are paying the price because mm-hmm. they didn't do it. Well, that we know of. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't even Zach Brown. Zach Brown wasn't there. It wasn't even the same people for the most part. So... It hurts. Whenever you hear how convoluted and conspiracy-ish things can get, anytime someone suggests like, no, that's too far-fetched, that would never happen, you're kind of just sitting there going like, really? 
I feel like there's very few conspiracy theories in this sport that are actually that far-fetched. Like, one of the biggest things was because someone worked at a Staples Center. Yes, yes. I'm here just doing photocopies. I'm sorry, but how... Why would you photocopy these confidential files at a public photocopy center where you're not even the one using the machine to photocopy it? Go to the library. Like, go Mm -hmm. to the library. Use the machine yourself. Uh, Ask a friend to use their machine. They were... uh, If if you're going to be doing the, like, shady things, you got to be appropriately shady and clever about it. Like, come on. Christina has thoughts and feelings on this. <laughs> when I was, like, four or five or something, I broke a little deer that was at my grandparents' house. Okay, this little, like, porcelain deer. I broke it. The little legs were no longer attached. And smart kid that I was, I was like, I'm just going to put this away over here somewhere. And so then they noticed, like, oh, this little deer is missing. And they asked me, Christina, have you seen this little deer? And I'm like oh, you mean the little deer that has head tilted to like a 45 degree angle, its front legs are bent like this and has this cute little like painting, like five little dots on its back. Describe this deer with perfect accuracy, right? And they're like, yes, have you seen that deer? No, haven't seen it since the last time we were here. Not at all. I have no clue where it is. And they're like, Christina, no, you're horrible at lying about this. Like, come on. And (laughs) if some of these teams are lying as well as me as a four-year-old was, like. Like, do it right or don't do it at all. I mean, preferably don't do it at all because integrity, but at the same time, like, if you're going to do it, do it. Well, and speaking of lying well in this sport, this leads really well into my second story. 2009, we saw the Australian Grand Prix chaos. A year later, in 2010, and bear in mind, at this time, team orders were illegal. So you were not allowed to take team orders because of a controversial 2002 Austrian Grand Prix where Ferrari executed team orders in order to allow Schumacher to win. And it was very controversial. So they canceled. Team orders were canceled. They said you are not allowed to do team orders anymore. So in 2010, at the German Grand Prix, Felipe Massa, who was driving for Ferrari alongside Fernando Alonso, Felipe Massa was given a radio call while he was leading the race in that in that Grand Prix in Germany and said, so Fernando is faster. And he was told twice. So Fernando is faster than you. Fernando is faster than you. But if we looked at the numbers, he actually wasn't going faster than Felipe was. And after the second radio call, Felipe slowed down and let Fernando pass him to win the, like he, I mean, he gave up the race win and widened the gap for Fernando for the driver's championship that year. So our boy Christian Horner was not happy. He was not happy because his driver, who was Sebastian Vettel, finished third after he started on pole for the race. And the points were really tight between them and McLaren at the time. And McLaren finished fourth and fifth. So as a result, Ferrari was hit with a $100,000 fine and further punishments should it happen again. And they also further emphasized the rule after the fact, saying that they were in breach of, I believe it was Article 151C, which referred to bringing the sport into disrepute. And they also broke Article 39.1, yes, where the team orders, like with the team orders rule. But what's interesting is like at the end of that season, they revoked the team orders rule. And that's why we are allowed to see team orders today. But Christian Horner was like quoted after that was like, look, 
team orders happen. We all know that they happen. But if you're going to do it, you've got to be sneakier than that. Like you've got to be more subtle than that. I mean, you practically told him because then because I also think what happened was after he let him pass his uh, his engineer got on the radio and was like, good job, Massa. Like, you like, thanks for being a good sport or something like that. And it was like, hmm, interesting. That was a little too deliberate. I like how Christian Horner is the one that was saying you have to be sneaky with team orders. And then this weekend they were trying to give Checo false data. Yes. To go a different speed than Max. Yes. 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 And Checo called them out. Yes. Have you seen the video where like they talk about it in the cool down room where Max and Checo talk about it in the cool down room? No, I didn't. I didn't watch the cool down room yesterday. When Checo asked Max in the cool down room, he was like, so did you get the fastest lap? And Max was like, yeah. And Checo was like, but didn't they tell you? Didn't they tell you to keep the pace at 33? And he was like, I mean... And he kind of didn't answer. And it was like, oh. Well, hello, ladies. Thank you for having me back for the checkered flag segment. I'm here to present the both of you with uh, something I'm calling Don't Take a Debate. Oh, bring it on. Yes. Where we're going to go over some rules uh, that have existed that currently exist and get your hot take on those rules in Formula One and find out what's your opinion on them. Mm. Do you agree? Do you two disagree with each other? And if so, let's hear about that. So 2015, there was one race at the end of that season where they allowed double points. Stupid. (gasps) No. Oh, no. no. I like it, though. I like it. I like it because... You've had a whole season to develop the car. So you see who has the innovation to stand the test of time and distance as they've been going all over the world. And it changes a lot of the strategy. I think it would change a lot of the strategy calls because you would be like, oh, definitely not going to change a power unit for this one. I'll do it the one before. So they have a fresh power unit going into the double points race. Christina? Uh, I, I don't like it. What if the double points race happens at a track where <laughs> it very clearly like, is an advantage to a different team? If it's a track with a lot of straight line mm. speed, then all of a sudden the Red Bulls, obviously, as an example, or the Williams are going to be at a distinct advantage. And that's just really that's cruddy. True. And then you'd also get into the whole politics of which race gets to be the final race. And it would become this whole big thing as well of... Who, who gets that honor? And it becomes all of a sudden such a bigger deal when realistically, I like the idea of all of the races counting for the same. And if you want to pull an indie car and have one that's double points, there has to be something that's like distinctly different of it. Like IndyCar has the Indy 500 and does it count for IndyCar championship? Yes, but it has a significantly different format. So if, if Formula One wants to do double points for whatever reason, don't have it just be the final race. Have it be something that's significantly different. But okay. Straight up. This, this Cal- did happen only once. It was the final Abu Dhabi in 2015. Mm-hmm. They abandoned it after that. Yeah. Okay. I have a counter question. Good call. On, on the topic of double points. So Christina doesn't like, and I, I see I see how it would give an unfair advantage based on how you the strength what the strengths are of the car absolutely i i i see that point 
What if instead of making it a double points race, every driver, every driver on the grid could pick one finish where they could double their points, but they have to pick it like an hour after they cross the checkered flag. So it's not oh. like, oh yeah, at the end of the season, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually double my points from that one that I won. They mm-hmm. have to pick it, and once they've locked it in, they can't change it. So like for someone like Max, it'd be like, oh well, duh. When I win one, I would double it. But for some of the midfield teams, or even like say Aston Martin this year, you're like, well, they could win, or do they double up when they're a second or first? But yeah, what do you think? I like it. That's very creative. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Thanks, guys. That's a fun. Thanks. Yeah. So next on the list is the commonly reoccurring rule about jewelry that we see Lewis Hamilton dealing with mm-hmm. pretty often. Yeah. Don't wear jewelry in the car. I don't care how sentimental it is. Like, have you ever opened an oven with a piece of jewelry on and then all of a sudden be just like, how it hurts? I'm surprised I'm disagreeing with Christina more than I thought I would because normally I'm like, Christina knows. But no, I disagree because here's the thing. It does not create any kind of advantage or disadvantage to wear it. And I think it's at the risk of the driver if they choose to wear it. And so I think that if you're married and you want to wear it and you want to take that risk, then you should be free to take that risk. Do, Do I think you should be wearing 80 chains around your neck? No. But like if that's what you want to do, I mean, I feel like that should be a team decision not necessarily an FIA decision. I believe some of the concern is that it's putting this onus on the people charged with saving them or or helping them with overcoming any challenge the jewelry presents with trying to help them. Mm -hmm. My question would be, what challenge does a ring present in an emergency situation? Like, I see the challenge of a chain around your neck. I don't see the challenge of a ring around a finger. Like, let's look for everything that could go wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. How do we mitigate that risk? Just get rid of jewelry altogether. And they end up making these blanket rules because it's just jewelry. It should be frivolous, shouldn't it? It shouldn't be a big deal. Um, Mm -hmm. So I see both sides of what you're saying, but I I think that might be someone's argument who doesn't care about racing as much as we do. (laughs) Yeah, well... I don't know. I feel like I feel like the doctors, the doctors these days are good enough to be able to work around a ring. I'm loving this. You guys, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm finding ways to, to drive a wedge between you. This is great. There will be no wedge. <laughs> we stand together. <laughs> we are wedgeless. So uh, the next one, serving penalties under safety car. Should this be allowed? Currently, there are a couple rules that you can serve under, or a couple penalties you can serve under safety car, the five second and 10 second. Everything else is not part of that and has to be served outside of safety car conditions, thoughts and opinions. I, because those penalties are allowed to be served and intended to be served at the same time as a pit stop, it it would further penalize them more to have them have to do another pit stop to serve that penalty. So either they have to allow it during the safety car or they just have to say, okay, you missed that window of opportunity. We're just gonna tack that time on to the end of your race. But, of course, serving the penalty properly is part of the game, yada, yada, yada. I could see the argument being made for the track is going slower, so by the same ratio that we've slowed down the on-track racing, we're going to increase your penalty. So instead of a five-second, it's like a seven-second penalty or something like that. 
I I would be for that. That would be fun, chaotic, and a bit more fair, I think. Yeah, I agree with Christina. I actually think it 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 reduces the impact of the penalty when someone is allowed to take it under the safety car because the safety car is something that is an unexpected advantage for sure, but it shouldn't reduce the impact of a penalty that was previously given because if anybody else, you know, had it in the second half when there wasn't a safety car, they have to serve it for real. And I agree with Christina. I think if you serve it under the safety car, it needs to be, it needs to have like an extra couple of seconds tacked on to make it fair. We agree. Okay. (laughs) Next on the list is the upcoming testing that I believe they're doing this year where the qualifying format's going to change and you're going to have to use hard tires in Q1, medium in Q2, and soft tires in Q3. So I don't know, I call it a rule, regulation, but it's this massive shift in the qualifying norm that we're used to. I don't like it. I initially... Go ahead, Christina, you go. I initially was going to say, I don't like it. But now, remember that time in, I want to say it was FP3, it was FP2 or FP3, when Max was on the hard tires and he just set the fastest lap time, like a 129, even though he was on the hard tires just like that and just did it? Yeah, seeing stuff like that kind of makes me go, okay, I'm willing to give it a bit more of a chance than I was previously after seeing that. Yeah, no, I don't I don't like it. And the reason I don't like it is because I feel like you take some of the freedom away from the teams because they are playing a strategy game every weekend with the tires that they're given. And so they might want to go into the race with more fresh mediums, you know, so they only use softs in the like and you're you're now forcing them to use something that could be a disadvantage to them later. Like, I feel like it takes a lot of the freedom and creativity away from the teams when you're like, you're already, I mean, we talked about in a previous episode, we talked about tires and how it used to not be regulated as, as well. And everybody could use whatever kind of tires they wanted from whatever supplier. And I feel like when they made it streamlined, then you have to let them all use what they have. And so if you're forcing them to use what you tell them to use, I don't know. I, it's such a, there's such creativity to the sport. Why would you choke the creativity? Mm-hmm. Let them race. Let them yeah. race. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm going to stop there. That's all the, the controversy I'm, I'm willing to uh, inject into the show between you two. <laughs> uh, but thank you for, for having me and letting me uh, stir the pot a little. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. I still love uh, you, Christina. Mm-hmm. We can disagree and still be friends. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wait, it's it's not real friendship until you have either friendship bracelets or matching tattoos. So... Okay. Thank you so much for listening to the Gravel Trap F1 podcast. If you like what you heard, you can get more information on our personal pages at F1 Caroline and Christina.Formula1. And you can go to Gravel Trap F1 on our Instagram and shoot us some questions and let us know what you think. I think my mom would disown me if I got a tattoo.